0: Hey, everyone, welcome to the Ball and Chain podcast. I am your host, Mark Thomas, coming to you from the hills of Twin Peaks in San Francisco, California. I will be doing this solo today, flying solo for you. uh, But I've got a lot of really interesting topics to talk with you about today uh, in light of everything going on in the world uh, with regards to coronavirus, how it's impacting the sports world, Its impact on businesses in the sports world, of course, cryptocurrencies, and even get into a little uh, Twitter talk for you today. So, uh, I'm going to dive right in because I've got a lot on my mind that I want to talk about with regards to all of the cancellations and everything going on with regards to the major sports leagues and uh, how everything has been handled up to this point with the postponements and cancellations and what we're actually going to be viably looking at here in the coming months from a Uh, getting going again perspective for these leagues and a resumption to normal life. So let's start off with first kind of just the state of where everything is at. So basically, all of the major sports leagues, 100% for the last uh, week and a half, almost two weeks now have been uh, postponed or canceled. Uh, So that, of course, includes all the major American sports leagues, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball was set to kick off its opening day yesterday and, of course, did not do that. And uh, recently, all of the soccer leagues, international soccer leagues like La Liga, Serie a in Australia, uh, the Russian Premier League, etc., have all postponed their games as well, too. And so, you know, what does this look like for us? You know, in the coming months, from a perspective of when are they going to resume, and what is it going to look like when they do resume? And so, let's take a look at each one kind of individually here. So. MLS, the uh, Major League Soccer here in the United States, they actually have a pretty aggressive timeline. They're actually saying that they want to come back May 10th. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen with all the recent you know, shelters in place and quarantines. Uh, they came out with that, I believe, a week ago. So things have, of course, possibly changed since then. Um, but that's about six weeks away from technically potentially resuming. Whether that ends up happening or not, not sure. Major League Soccer is, of course, a little bit of a smaller league uh, compared to the NBA and NHL. And they probably have a little bit more flexibility as to when they can say they're going to do things and then when they actually do. Uh, Contrast that to the NBA and NHL, which have said that they're not going to be resuming their seasons probably until mid June. And they need to be a little bit more firm in what they state because it's harder for them to just pick up and change if they say mid June and all of a sudden they want to do end of May or mid-July, You know that's harder for them to pivot on that. Now, of course, if they're pushing out further than what they say, that's a lot easier than if they try to speed it up and do it sooner than what they say. But yeah, so just to kind of throw some of these dates out here, we're looking at around May 10th for for MLS, uh, end of May, maybe Memorial Day for for Major League Baseball, mid-June for NBA and NHL, uh, possibly resume Wimbledon in uh, July. Maybe August, uh, and then the Masters for golf is going to be uh, postponed until September. Of course, uh, you probably heard the Olympics uh, in Tokyo that has been postponed until 2021. Um, but let's you know, let's just kind of assume that um, even if we can't have fans in the arenas or the stadiums, that we can get these games going again for let's just say all the sports by mid June. So that's another two and a half months, uh, at the absolute latest that we're looking at for that. And of course, you know that's really dependent on you know the U.S. and other countries uh, that have, for example, soccer leagues going on, uh, following through on flattening the curve. And we're going to talk more about <clears throat> sheltering in place and flattening the curve and what that looks like. But um, you know, I'm going to be a little bit more on the I think uh, kind of middle road uh, side of things, where I'm not going to be overly aggressive here and say. Things are going to resume in mid-May. You know, that's probably best case scenario. But I'm also not going to be, you know, super pessimistic and say, yeah, we're not going to get any of these games going again until September. Uh, I really do think this kind of falls somewhere in the middle. And I think mid-June feels realistic. Okay. So with that in mind, what does that look like for each sport? All right. So let's talk about baseball first. Okay. So if you start in mid-June, you've basically have lopped off 60 to 70 games off the schedule. So instead of the standard 162 games... Now you're looking at between 90 and 100 games. Of course, you can make up for some of these games by having double headers. You can make up for some of these games by getting rid of the all-star break in July and just playing over those four or five days. You could extend the regular season a week into October. So there's probably a way to make up another 10 to 20 games. So if let's say you lose 90 uh 70 games and so you're looking at a 90 game season by starting in mid-june you can probably make that up and get a 100 game season in uh get an extra 10 games back in by doing the things i just mentioned and so i think realistically major league baseball should be satisfied and happy if we can get a 100 game season in right so what does that look like from a competition standpoint or you know which games are you going to eliminate well of course you've eliminated all the games in april and may and part of june but one of the other interesting things here is is that interleague play normally creates a big disparity in strength of schedule and difficulty of schedule when you're playing games in Major League Baseball, because you know if you're a team in the NL East and you get stuck having to play the al East, you know in that season, you are you know you're at a huge disadvantage compared to other national league teams that are getting to play the Royals and the White Sox and uh, you know the Indians and stuff. Uh, and tigers. I guess the Indians might not be that bad, but but the Tigers and Royals and and White Sox are, you know, a certain advantage if you can play those teams in interleague play versus playing the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Rays. So, the first thing is and I'll give a shout out to Mad Dog Sports Radio. You know, heard this earlier today that or I should say yesterday that, you know, what they should do is get rid of in all interleague games for this season. We don't need to be seeing uh, you know, Brewers Twins uh or yankees mets you know in times of crises those are nice to haves and they create an imbalance in fair schedule when you do that an unfair schedule when you do them so um if we're going to talk about lopping off games and so taking away 60 games or so right there and then you should use the 15 to 20 interleague games as uh the first set of games that just go and so if those games were set to take place in the second half of june july august and september when games uh, you know, we'll be resuming. You're going to have to replace those games with other games that should be uh, from your league. And maybe this adds some extra juice as well to the World Series, right? Uh, so it's been a long time since we haven't had Interleague play. Interleague play began back in uh, 97. Uh, so we've had 23 years of Interleague play. So this is nothing new, but way back in the day, There was no interleague play. (laughs) And so, um, you know, we can definitely return to that. And, you know, there definitely is some unfairness to the interleague play schedule. That if we're going to remove games for the season, let's start there first. What I don't want to see happening is we try to squeeze in and get 120, 130, 140 games in and screw up the whole uh, playoffs formatting in October to accommodate more games in a regular season. Uh, I've been talking for a long time that the Major League Baseball season is already long enough as it is. Having 162 games in today's day and age when you've got a million other distractions with social media and technology and smartphones, people just don't have the attention span anymore to sit through a three-hour-plus baseball game 162 times a year. And so I think you're going to eventually see a 140-game schedule, maybe even a 120-game schedule at some point. Um, basically, lop off all the games in April and May, start the season in June, end in September, and have your playoffs in October. So I see this as something that could be a permanent change in the future, and this could be an experiment or a testing ground for that. Now, some people also thrown around the ideas of having a lot more double headers and trying to get as many games in as possible and possibly going to some seven inning games. I don't like that. Uh, I think there's, there's a lot of drama in the last two innings of games. And I think that um, while well, double headers are great. And by the way, we're looking at day night double headers here. We're not going to be doing back-to-back double headers for, for obvious economic reasons. Uh, Cause they want as many uh, people going through the gates and ticketing as possible. But I just, I just don't see a, a I don't see going to seven inning games as being a realistic possibility. Um, I just, you know, it just, it takes away too much of the, you know, there isn't a ton of drama as there already, as there is in baseball. And then if you start removing, you know, your eighth and ninth inning uh, drama from it, then you take away even more drama from it. And that doesn't make any sense. So I think you stick with full nine inning games. You start June 15th, you play those four or five games over the all-star break. Um, you play probably an extra five to 10 double headers and you get rid of all interly games and then you've created a fair balanced schedule and people will be accepting of a hundred game schedule. Uh, I don't think we need to try and squeeze in and get 120 games in here. And I also don't think we should go to an 80 game schedule. I just, at that point you start to go, well, is it even worth it? Uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, whether these championships with these shortened seasons will have asterisks or not next to it, but, um, but I think that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So NBA and NHL. So both those seasons were more than 75% complete when, uh, the season got shut down a couple of weeks ago. So most of the teams in the NBA had played anywhere from 64 to 68 games, um, NHL even more because they start a little bit earlier in October. And so there's absolutely no reason to come back and play any of the regular season, given this, um, given that more than 75% of the season's been played. Um, there's just uh, I get the need to maybe have a, a warm up period, and maybe maybe you come back and play two or three games, but I, I just there's no reason to come back and finish off the rest of the season. There's just not. Um, nobody's going to care about that, anyways. Uh, let's talk about the NBA first. I mean, everybody wants to see some kind of combination between Bucks Lakers. Bucks Clippers, uh, obviously a little bit biased because I'm a Bucks fan, but I don't see anybody else coming out of the East besides the Bucs. Um, and so the only thing that matters in the NBA is that seven-game series in the finals, deciding it all. Uh, in fact, which leads me to the point of how do we do the, the, the playoffs here to make sure that we get everything in and done in time uh, in August. If you feel the need to add a few extra regular season games before the playoffs for the NBA, then I think you go to six-team playoff format exactly like what the NFL has right now. Top two teams get buys the first round changes to a best of five series. Uh, So there's added juice uh, for those early first round matchups. And the top two teams are exempt from having to play that, which by the way, I've been actually advocating for for a long time for the NBA playoffs anyways, because the regular season in the NBA doesn't mean shit when uh, the top eight teams make it. And the first round is a best of seven, anyways, and everyone has to play in the first round. I've been saying for a while that we should be moving to uh, top six teams in the NBA for the playoffs. Give the first two teams a buy, so there's a, a deep incentive to finish in the top two in your respective conference, and then have the uh, rest of the teams duke it out in a fun, you know, best of three or best of five playoff format. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense, and that makes a lot of sense, especially. Given all of the shortening of seasons for uh, the leagues for uh, due to corona's uh, to coronavirus issues, now the NHL is a little bit different because you get a lot more luck in the playoffs. An eight seed can knock off a one seed, a seven seed can knock off a two seed. Happens a lot, uh, or I should say, a lot more frequently in the NBA. It almost never happens in the NBA. Sorry, but the Magic are not knocking off the Bucks. Uh, the. Uh, the, um, I don't know, let's say it's the Grizzlies uh, are not going to, or Pelicans are not going to knock off the Lakers in the first round. It's just not happening. So I think we can just skip those normal matchups, just go right to the top six teams. Yes, that hurts a little bit on the revenue side of things for the owners, uh, but you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. And I think this is the right approach that fans would want to see anyways and allows you to condense the playoffs and maybe still squeeze in a few regular season games prior to the start of the playoffs, um, you know, to, to get some sense of normalcy. So if you want to get to 70 games, uh, that's fine. You play your extra three to five games in the regular season, stop it there, then start the playoffs, have the top six teams in each conference, give the top two teams a bye, have the other teams play. uh, So three versus six, four versus five in a best of three or best of five series, add some juice to those series. Um, and go from there. Now the NHL, my, my thinking there is you still keep all eight teams. Um, you definitely don't need to add any regular season games there because, uh, they've already played even more than the NBA. But again, if you want to throw an extra couple of games in so that they, um, you know, can basically almost kind of treat it like an exhibition, you can do that. Um, and then there, you're definitely looking at probably the first two rounds of the playoffs being best of fives. In order to, to cut to condense this into a, a normal palatable time frame. Now, don't forget the, the, the NBA and NHL playoffs on a normal uh, schedule takes two months to complete. So if you're starting in mid-June, you're now looking at mid-August before you're finished. And so you theoretically could do the entire playoffs there, um, but not if you're not if you're adding games to the regular season. Um, Because otherwise you're bumping up into the end of August, which then gets into the start of the NFL season um, and you run risks of scheduling and other issues that could come up. Um, I mean, just as an example, uh, the DNC is having their, uh, you know, convention uh, in Milwaukee in mid July. I mean, what if that runs smack dab into the bucks hosting some, some games then Um, you're going to have all sorts of these types of scheduling conflicts going on that you're going to have to adjust for. And so, Um, you know, at the end of the day, we need to do whatever we can to make sure we have as complete of a playoff structure as possible, especially the conference finals and finals. Those can't be altered. Those have to be seven game series with hopefully the best teams. And same thing for the NBA finals, which leads me to the point of, you know, are fans, or people going to look at these seasons with asterisks, given if they don't complete all the full games? My answer to that is definitely no. Uh, The NBA had a lockout back in 99, 2000 where they didn't play a full season. In fact, they only played 50 games that season. Nobody looks at the Spurs as that year as, um, uh, you know, as an asterisk for one of their titles. Um, people still say the Spurs won, you know, five titles. Uh, they don't go, they won four plus one in a shortened season. Um, so especially here, I mean, you've played more games than that 65 to 70 games in the NBA, NBA and same thing in the NHL. Uh, I don't see any asterisks, Uh, assuming you can play, assuming the conference finals and finals have their full best of seven games in each of those. And we're looking at the top teams in in both of those. If if the Bucks and Lakers play in the finals and, um, you know, whoever win, uh, whoever may win, wins that series, they'll have earned it, period. They'll earned it because that's all we care about. Anyways, that's what the NBA championship is. Anyways, it's the best of final best of seven finals between two teams, two of the best teams or the two best teams. So, uh, I don't see any asterisks or any kind of issues coming about. And, uh, you know, these are the times that we're faced with. So no reason to squeeze the entire rest of the regular season and maybe play a few games leading into the playoffs. If you want almost kind of as an exhibition, um, and then get the playoffs going. And, you know, we, we've got some alternative formats that we can look at, uh, there. So that's that. I don't think the NFL is going to get disturbed. Um, at all here now they're they're going to be having a decision uh in the next few weeks about the nfl draft uh goodell just yesterday came out and said that all teams need to shut down their facilities for the next two weeks <clears throat> um of course that is you know uh right in line with all of the shelter in place and quarantine ordinances that several states and cities have enacted um and, you know, the NFL is doing the right thing by by shutting down their facilities for the next couple of weeks. The question then becomes is, do they hold the draft uh, in April? I believe it's set for April 23rd. Double check that date. Um, or do they postpone it? Or do they hold it via Zoom, via virtual conferencing? Um, we have such little to talk about right now in the sports world. And we need some of these conversations and diversions. My take is they should do the NFL draft via Zoom. I think they should lead by example and show that while we um, you know, are sensitive to what's going on in the world and sheltering in place is the right thing to do and not having large group gatherings is the right thing to do, we still want to have some sort of normal semblance of life. And the right thing there to do is to still hold the draft, but to do it virtually. And with all the technology, with Zoom conference calling, happy hours, you name it, that are going on right now. I think we're all getting used to this virtual world that we're living in. There's no reason why the NFL can't do the same thing with regards to its draft. Uh, It would be different. It would be unique. You could even possibly uh, tie it into, uh, you know, chat and have people asking questions during it. You could make it interactive. Um, You know, you can be live streaming it from people's homes. Um, you know, uh, there's all sorts of cool things that you can do with it. Whereas if you just flat out postpone it, now you're, let's say you postpone until June as well. Okay. So two things. One is it's going to make it very hard to turn around, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, optional, uh, OTCs and training camps for those, um, for those drafted players. You've got to sign the drafted players. Um, you've got to try to condense all the workouts, uh, from then, from then into uh, the start of this regular season, I mean, you have preseason games starting in August. So I think waiting and postponing it doesn't matter and you don't know necessarily if you're going to be able to hold, hold it in front of a large audience anyways. like for example, the the leagues that resume their games in in June, they may have to do it in front of empty stadiums and arenas. So by postponing the NFL draft, you're by no ways in no way guaranteeing that you're going to be able to host it in front of a large audience crowd or audience even in June or July. So why not just bite the bullet now, hold the draft April 23rd, but do it via Zoom uh, or, or virtually and um, you know run with it there. I mean, I, like I said, I think there's a lot of fun, cool, interactive things you can do with that. And then that keeps everybody on schedule. It keeps people in the sports world talking about things and having some kind of diversion from all the chaos going on in their lives. Um, I know we all want to be fixated on what we should be doing to flatten the curve and and we damn well should be doing those things, but, but geez, I mean, can, can we also have a little break in the evenings? Can we also talk about some other things? Does it have to be 24 seven 7 coronavirus? And I'm as guilty as anybody. I mean, I'm on Twitter all the time, you know, checking the status of what's going on. Of course, I have a business that's directly impacted uh, with Zen sports, um, for this, but anyways, um, you know, I definitely think that um, I definitely think that uh, I definitely think that it can be held, and I think we can do it virtually. I don't think we have to. Um, I don't think we have to postpone it if we use the technology and tools that are out there. Uh, speaking of which, forgot to give the plug out to Zen Sports. We'll do a little mini commercial break right now. Uh, so this podcast once again is brought to you by Zen Sports which is the peer-to-peer mobile sports betting app where anybody can come in and create and accept sports bets with anyone else in the world without the need for a bookmaker. Can't do it right now because there's nothing to bet on. But when you can resume betting on sports, uh, Zen Sports is a really great product. I'm the co-founder and CEO of it. And uh, we are helping streamline the sports betting process, creating a fun, cool way to bet on sports uh, that doesn't exist out there currently. All right, uh, back to the podcast here. So... I think that's a great segue into what businesses and how businesses are impacted uh, in the sports world by the coronavirus issue. So uh, let's start off with, uh, of course, the biggie, which is all the sports leagues. So with all the sports leagues being postponed, there are no games being going uh, being held going on. Uh, there are no, uh, uh, you know, practices. There are no televised events. There are no. Games and arenas. There's no nothing, and so of course, naturally, all of the employees that work at these venues are out of jobs and aren't getting paid. I believe a lot of the announcers and uh, you know uh, personnel, uh, like media personnel, with each of the teams are still getting paid because their salary, um, but they they might be having uh, they might be running into issues as well, and. There's actually in the uh, contracts of the players in the NBA verbiage that allows the owners to not pay them during things like pandemics, um, you know, big crises. And so the question, I'm not sure the exact date, but I believe it's coming up pretty soon. Uh, there's going to come a date in sometime in April where the owners can actually flat out choose to not pay the players. So we're not just talking about, of course, the you know the beer vendors and the ticket booth guy and the uh, play-by-play announcers. We're also talking about the players. And of course, I don't know if anyone's going to feel sorry for them because uh, they're making millions, but you know they're they're going to start running into you know pay issues as well too. So their business is being impacted. Every single media company uh, that covers these games right now is losing and hemorrhaging money by the day. So. TNT, ESPN, um, ABC, uh, all, TBS, all these networks that cover all of these sports are just absolutely getting crushed right now because there's no games to be, to be broadcast. Uh, and you know, they have all of these advertising dollars and contracts that, you know, that they have to commit to and they're not gonna be able to deliver on them. So of course they're not gonna be able to, uh, you know, you know, collect on those funds, and so this is a huge hit to the media networks right now. Um, you know, uh, so it's 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 leagues, it's players, it's uh the employees that work at these uh venues, it's the cameramen that operate the cameras for the broadcasts, it's the sportscasters, uh, it's uh it's it's online ticketing. So I mean you look at Stubhub, you look at Ticketmaster, you look at SeatGeek, I mean, their business has got to be plummeting. Uh, I don't know the exact percentage of their sports ticketing business compared to their other event business, but this can't be good. Uh, and so, those kinds of even tech companies are probably facing layoffs uh, as well. Uh, when it comes to you know being able to have the kind of business that they had pre coronavirus, um, there's just nothing going on. I mean, everything in the sports world, you know, screeched to a halt. And then you look at the sports betting world. There's no sports betting. There's no sports betting at all. Um, so every sports better, excuse me, every sports uh, book or uh, sports betting product out there, um, unless they're offering really obscure sports, um, such as cricket or darts. Um, some of them are starting to offer esports now. Uh, we're actually going to be doing that with Zen Sports next month. Uh, starting to offer esports. Um, I mean, those revenues just completely dry have have dried up as well. And then I saw on Twitter that 100% of all casinos in the United States have also temporarily closed, uh, at least till end of April, uh, early May. So, um, you know, even though they're not necessarily in the sports world, I mean, some of them have physical sports book locations, you know, they're now impacted as well. Um, And so all, of course, all the sports books within those uh, casinos are shut down as well. Um merchandising companies. So uh merchandise shops, your mom and pop merchandise shop, you know, on Main Street in your town or at your shopping mall. And of course the big, you know, uh online uh merchandise players as well, uh, like NFL.com, etc., all taking huge hits. There's there's nothing to sell uh because there's no games going on. And not that people can't buy that merchandise even with no games going on, but you know, uh with with the economy basically in the toilet. And, uh, you know, sports not happening and sports not being top of mind for people. Uh, they're just, they're just not going to be buying any, any goods, uh, no sports merchandise. Uh, and while, you know, maybe rec sports, recreational sports like tennis and golf and stuff, are maybe not as, uh, big of a market as, uh, you know, professional and collegiate sports, you know, you have that too, because everyone's sheltering in place and, and rightfully so. So, I mean, everyone should be sheltering in place right now, but, you have that too. So all of these businesses, I mean, I think the thing that's just really crazy about all of this is that, you know, when you compare this, for example, to the economic crisis um, and the mortgage crisis and the great recession of 2009, that was bad. Yes. But it was basically one economic thing, i.e. mortgage-backed securities and, um, you know, subprime loans, that um, ended up defaulting, that caused this, you still have everything else going on in the world that people could fall to, right? you know if 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 you were in the mortgage industry and you were impacted by that, or if you' were in the investment banking industry and impacted by that, you know you still could at least go out and have a cocktail with friends and uh, shoot the shit and watch a game and uh, you know try to get away from it all. With this, <laughs> with the with the coronavirus issue, you know, not only is the whole economy collapsing, but you can't do anything about it. You're holed up in place. And again, rightfully so. We're not trying to say you should be going out there and doing anything, but that's what's so severe about this. And the real huge issue with this is that it has literally shut down the world. Shut down the world. Um, Now, on the opposite end, you have certain businesses that are thriving, like food delivery services, uh, movie streaming companies like Netflix and Hulu, food delivery services, uh, Postmates, DoorDash. Uber Eats, um, you have, you know, uh, the Amazons and the grocery retailers of the world who, uh, <laughs> you know, have lines out the door. So you have the opposite uh, with some businesses going on right now. But I mean, all sports-related businesses, forget about it. All entertainment businesses right now, forget about it. Anything to do with not the non-essentials of life or outside of the home entertainment, just it's just non-existent right now. And so, of course, you know, we're hopeful, um, and I'm hopeful, and all my friends that I know of are hopeful that, you know, we can start to flatten this curve sooner rather than later um, and get back to, you know, get back to a normal way of life. so um so that these people that work in these industries uh, can get rehired. A lot of them have been laid off, right? they're not they're not working right now, and which in turn has a trickle effect. And yes, the stimulus package was passed yesterday, but, you know, I mean, let's say you're getting the maximum $1,200 as an individual or $2,400 as a family. Is that really going to be enough to get you to uh, run out and and buy things, uh, buy non-essential things? No, you're going to use that to pay your rent, buy more toilet paper, buy more sanitizer, buy more um, paper towels and so forth. And, you know, that's not that's not what the economy needs. The economy, we need to find a way to get back to the point where we can live a normal you know, life again. And all these ancillary things come second to everyone's health. And everyone's health is important. Um, but hopefully we can continue to flatten that curve and and get back to that that normal way. So one of the things that I think that's gonna be interesting is when we do get back to games being held, are we gonna have empty arenas and stadiums? Like will there be people in the arena and in the stadium attending these games? Will people be skittish about going out public? Even let's say the CDC had originally said uh, two months from what was it March 10th, so May 10th. Let's call it May 15th, just to round off. So after May 15th, let's say things are starting to get better. Um, you know, in certain parts of the country, in certain green zones that have started to flatten the curve, or and and parts of the world. You know, are we going to resume games there? Are we going to um, have people attend games? Are people going to show up in arenas and stadiums, or are they going to be like? geez, yeah, I I guess I can technically go out, but I don't know, I feel scared. Or maybe people show up and they show up in masks. I mean, that's one thing that we haven't really touched on here, but I mean, the US is just way behind, way behind in the concept of using masks when going out. You know, maybe we can have people show up in arenas and games, but they have to be in masks, Um, right? The one good thing I would say from just getting the games going again, even if there's not people in the arenas, is at least you get some semblance of normal life going again where people can tune into this stuff so people can start watching the games again. So now all the media coverage is back. Uh, people can again, of course, you know, bias here, but people can start betting on the games as well. Um, you know, cause they can do it right from their phone, right from their home. Um, so, and, and speaking to that, I mean, the sports books and sports betting products that are technology first versus the brick and mortars are going to have a huge advantage. there. huge advantage uh, because it's very possible that the casinos, Uh, stay shut down for even longer than when the games resume the games resume june 15th but if the casinos don't reopen until i don't know let's say july 30th uh, 31st then uh, all the technology sports betting products are going to have a huge advantage over the ones that are purely brick and mortar right so um i think that'll be really interesting to see you know when we resume the games what that looks like will it look weird you know seeing a nba conference finals game with no fans in the But just get the games going again, man. We need we need diversion here at this point. And as long as we can do it safely, um, that's that's I, I think the way to go. Um, even if it means no fans in the stands, let's do it. Or even if it means everyone's got to be in a face mask, let's do it. Uh, let's just let's get let's get the games going again. But of course we've got to wait until we can do it safely. Um, so I think I think that's what really makes the most sense is wait until it's safe enough if it's safe enough to do the hold the games but no fans do that and the uh you know if it's safe enough to hold the games with fans in face masks do that and then of course best case scenario is you know we're starting to get that um viral r coefficient below 1 uh so that you know it's not uh you know so it's not one person spreading it to more than one if we can get that below 1 and then of course we can resume having large crowds again and not sure, not sure when that will be. We haven't touched on the crypto markets, so uh, <laughs> obviously the crypto markets have taken a huge nosedive since we did our last pod, um, and everything else has happened with regards to the quarantines, number of deaths, shelters in place, etc. And so I think when we did the last pod, the uh, Bitcoin was in the nine thousands. Now it's in the six thousands. It did dip all the way down to thirty seven hundred, um, you know, at the lowest moment, and then bounce back. Uh, pretty nicely, actually. Um, not going to do a TA analysis here. Uh, lots of talk on Twitter that'll probably still go back down into the fours or fives, uh, specifically Bitcoin, and then possibly rebound after that. Uh, the broader uh, equity markets, of course, have uh, done poorly. They've bounced back a little uh, since the, in the last couple of days, uh, since the announcement of the stimulus package and other, uh, and other news. Uh, but uh, look, I think cryptocurrencies in their core function are going to continue to, um, or we're going to continue to need to show true utility in these cryptocurrencies for there to be an interest in them. Going back to what we've always talked about on these pods, you just can't have trading pump and dump, uh, you know, schemes going on. Not saying all cryptocurrencies are that, but, um, you know, you know, during these times, these kinds of, you know, crises, especially uh, it's really, really important. Uh, that we try to find innovative ways in the cryptocurrency and the blockchain world to show true utility uh, for uh, the value of what these tokens and coins can bring. Um, what's an interesting thing is that the uh, there was a, uh, a recent court ruling yesterday on the Telegram uh, token uh, issue as to whether it's a security token or a utility token. So quick background, Uh, Telegram came out with their own token. Uh, They proclaimed that it's a GRAM token, it's called. Uh, They proclaimed that it's a a utility, of course. And the SEC said, not so fast. Uh, We think the way you've issued this token, it's a security. And uh, the uh, first court ruling agreed with the SEC that the GRAM token is a security. Uh, Give you the TLDR here on that is basically... Telegram issued the token via SAFT, which is uh, which stands for Simple Agreement for Future Tokens. Um, sold it to invest, or sold it to people uh, in kind of a controlled fashion. Um, you know where there was a, a promise of returns, uh, a reliance of a third party on the value of that token, and there really wasn't a network in place. And there was something called the Bahamas test, where if if the Telegram team left and went to the Bahamas. Would the token be able to stand on its own? And the answer was no. Um, Which I think is really interesting because it really goes and speaks to the fact that you've got to have a network of people using something. You can't just have a small group of individuals who are controlling the use of it and who gets the tokens and how it's distributed. It's got to be out there for anybody to get and to be able to use for a true utilitarian purpose. And I think the other aspect here is, is some kind of formal whether it's a written agreement or smart contract agreement to buy the tokens, is just not gonna fly. You can't sell the tokens under a, uh, what's a traditional investment contract, which would be like a SAFT, um, and then turn around and say afterwards that it's a utility. It just doesn't work like that. Um, so speaking you know, from, for example, Zen Sports side of things with our sports utility token. So we have a separate sport without an S security token that we sold to investors in 2018. And we did that under a SAFT, but SPORT is a security token. So that's fine. We sold it to accredited investors um, and Reg S investors outside the US. We sold it as a security. So great. You know, that's how it should be done. And then when we launched our utility token in July of 2019, um, of course, we did not sell that under a a SAFT or, or any kind of formal agreement. It had to be purchased through the app by customers to then be used for wagering and betting on sports and earning rewards on sports. And we didn't control, um, you know, who got it or how they got it or anybody anybody that could use our product and could use our product for betting could get the sports tokens and then use it for that purpose of betting. And that's what it means to be utility. Anybody can get it. That's with anybody within the network um, that's using it for network purposes can get access to it. and and then be able to use it within that network. Um, and there's not one body or body of people controlling it. So I think that's just so critical, right? Because um, you know that's when you have true network utility value is when anybody can anybody that's allowed to use it. For, so for example, in the case of Zen Sports, anybody outside the U.S. that's in the jurisdictions that we operate in. Uh, in those jurisdictions that want to get the sports token can do so. They just go into the app, they get the, they, you know, buy the token through the exchange that we have from other people in the network, use it for betting, and uh, you know, then they can trade it as a as they see fit. That's utility. That's utility value. And if you look at Bitcoin and Ethereum, you know, they originally started out as utilities uh with the network uh in those mechanisms. And so uh so kick KIK is going to be having you know their kind of moment as well with the SEC coming up uh, because the SEC is also claiming that the KICK token is a uh, security as well. So they haven't yet had their first trial, um, their first court case, uh, which they will be having in the coming months. Um, But I think the Telegram situation sets precedence for KICK because I believe they also kind of promised returns to investors and people when they sold their token. And you you just can't do that. just can't be anything like that. So so, yeah, so uh, more clarity by the day as time goes on around what's the utility and what's the security. Um, so th- that's good. That's what we want. We want more clarity in this world. We want less ambiguity because ambiguity is what breeds uncertainty, which breeds um, you know difficulties in scaling and and getting people to buy into what you're doing. Last thing I want to chat about here uh, is Twitter. So, um, I started using Twitter back in two thousand and thirteen or so but didn't really use it very heavily until I would say the last year and a half. So really maybe two years. So really since 2000, early 2018. And <clears throat> I just, I just have one word to describe Twitter and that's vitriol. It is, I, and, and I love it because it's got great news and it's got great information, but the vitriol on Twitter is, it's unbelievable. and you know, I've, I've been kind of tossing this around in the back of my head, you know, like, I just have this love-hate relationship with Twitter for the for the aforementioned reasons. Like, I love the information I get from it. I, I get all my news from Twitter. I get real updates on it. I think Twitter is very much responsible for helping those that were on it get sheltered in place quicker due to coronavirus uh, and is helping actually flatten the curve via its mass, mass sharing of information. But... But the vitral on there is it's out of fucking control and it's, it's crazy. And I guess that's some of, somewhat the draw of it. It's some of the anonymity and people can create burner accounts and anonymous accounts and, um, aliases and posts under those. And really there's not a ton of repercussions. If you post something nasty and you can report a tweet, but unless it's pretty egregious, it's not going to get taken down. And, you know, being here in Silicon Valley and in the tech world, I just I look at my I look at Twitter and I go, "There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a way to have this vast sharing of information, but to also keep it civilized." And in looking at the people that I follow for my information, um, you know, a lot of it, of course, is folks that have the blue check mark, folks that are real. Um, by the way, they need to bring back the blue check mark for everybody. Uh, so I don't have a blue check mark as an FYI, but I'm real. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, I guess you can get it if you reach out to them and go through this long process. But, you know, it, get, it got me thinking that there should be a Twitter for verified people. And, you know, you kind of look at LinkedIn and you go, that's probably one of the more civil places for discussion because, you know, people are professional on there and they have their professional background. And if they say nasty things, it's going to possibly come back to their employer, Right or to their customers or their partners and look bad. Um, but at the same time, um, you don't get quite the sharing of information that you do. Uh, so it feels like there should be some happy medium. It feels there should be a way for us to create a product, not us, Zen sports, but someone out there, some entrepreneur to create a product that has all of the awesome sharings of information like on Twitter and also keep all the fun memes and the fun sports content and the gifts, all those things are great. Those are great, and I, I'm, that's not what I'm here to shoot down. What I'm here to shoot down is the randos that come out of the woodwork that have two followers that um, you know are just just nasty for no reason, or just picking a fight for no reason. And I think the problem is is because people don't aren't actually getting to know each other on a deeper level than just uh, some flash in the pan post that somebody makes there's no civility to it. And it's really, really bad. And it actually is a, it's a turnoff. And it's really unfortunate because I think Twitter can be better and bigger than this. But I also think the problem is, you know, as, as smart as Jack Dorsey is and their team, you know, I think their head is a bit in the sand on this one. And, you know, they're facing issues of how can we monetize and grow and Wall Street's frustrated, but, you know, it would be nice if they could. Um, find ways to control that better because it's uh, it's really unfortunate. It really it really is. It could be better. So there's an idea uh, for anybody out there. I think uh, if you're looking to create the next new social network, I think create all of the best parts of Twitter while eliminating all of the worst parts. Um, and go ahead and hit me up for more ideas if you have on that. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Entrepreneur SF. So yeah, so I think that concludes uh, today's pod. Um, we're going to be having a ton of awesome guests. Over the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be doing a series on those businesses impacted by coronavirus uh, in the sports world um, and anybody touching the sports or sports betting world. So look for those really awesome pods coming up in the next couple of weeks. But I really enjoyed doing the first uh, solo version, first monologue version. Hope you enjoyed it and uh, keep listening for awesome, great content here in Ball & Chain. Have a great night, everybody.